Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We come to you shortly after the men's singles final in Miami, which, of course, was won by Novak Djokovic, as was the women's title by Victoria Azarenka, as was the doubles title with Nicola Mahou and Pierre-Hugues Herbert, and I think also... Bethany Matic Sands was in the women's doubles final. I don't actually know how that one ended up. But the reason I mention all this is because all of those players, Catherine Whitaker, also won in Indian Wells two weeks before. It is quite extraordinary. It is extraordinary. Hello, David, by the way. It is, hello, it is, hello. It is extraordinary because so much time uh, it's spent by tennis commentators like you and I uh, discussing and talking about how different the two events are and how at first glance they can look you know oh yeah two back-to-back hardcore events you know momentum coming into the second one off the first one but you know just I mean yeah this year's a poor example for Andy Murray but Andy Murray's past results at the two events are evidence enough of just how different they are just how different the conditions are the how different the courts play it is you know in the past it's proven extremely difficult for anyone to do the Indian Wells Miami double and that's just completely been blown out of the water by Victoria Azarenka, Novak Djokovic, Matek Sands and Herbert Mahou. Correct. And the, the questions that we will be asking you all today that I've been asking at Tennis Podcast on Twitter over the last 24 hours. First of all, Novak Djokovic, of course, just an extraordinary run that continues. His dominance of world tennis continues. And the question I've asked everybody is who, if anyone, can come between him and a golden Grand Slam this year? It is an Olympic year. And the thing is, it's just not it's it's barely competitive at the moment, Catherine. I mean, people are giving him a decent match. I think Dominic Team was excellent this week. He, he he played really well and pushed Djokovic at points in a straight sets victory for the world number one. David Goffin played really well and pushed Djokovic for the odd moment here and there. We I, I was quite disappointed that we didn't get to see Nick Kyrgios against Djokovic for the first time in the final, but that's because Nishikori played so well in the semi to beat Kyrgios. But then, despite going up a break early on in the final, yet again, it was it was fairly straightforward. 6-3, 6-3 for Djokovic. The, this is not really even close to being 
up for debate as to who's going to win these tournaments at the moment. Djokovic has only lost one match all year, and that was when he had to pull out halfway through because he had an eye infection. Yeah, we don't count that match. I mean, that's to say that he's lost a match this year is. A, I mean, he he is unbeaten this year, as far as I'm concerned. He's it's completely uncompetitive. Um, I mean, all of those matches you mentioned, yes, they were the most competitive Novak Djokovic matches we've seen of late. But in all of them, as as you know, Dominic Team impressed me, David Goffin impressed me, and yet there was never a single flickering moment in either or any of those matches that you've just mentioned where I even contemplated the prospect of Djokovic not winning them. And that was with those players playing really, really well. The same goes for the final today with Nishikori. And that tells you everything, I think. Yes, I, like the world of tennis, was uh, salivating at the prospect of a Kyrgios-Djokovic matchup. you know, for really obvious reasons. We talk so much about how exciting he is, and he's just something different. He's something that Djokovic doesn't play every, every day. He's a shot maker, a la, you know, I talk a lot about how Vavrinka has set that template for how if you're having your very very best day you might possibly go about beating Novak Djokovic well Kyrgios is at least the sort of player that can have a very very good day like that but I I mean I was blown away by Nishikori in his match against Kyrgios he made Kyrgios look um redundant on the tennis court really everything that had been brilliant for Kyrgios and all the other matches looked completely impotent and I really felt foolish for predicting that Kyrgios would win that match because Nishikori showed me I mean I've seen Nishikori been be great before I mean obviously he reached that US Open final he's done countless other really really impressive things on the tennis court but that was the first match for me that I really really understood just why Kane Shikori is so great because he made a bit of a fool of Nick Kyrgios in that he exposed all of his weaknesses weaknesses which I think with experience will be largely rectified I should say but I really fundamentally understood just why Kane Shikori is such a brilliant tennis player in that match and yet still today he was just I mean, completely in the shade for for every step of that match. And it was still a decent performance from Nishikori. It wasn't... He didn't give a poor account of himself. It's just Novak Djokovic is as dominant a tennis player just at the moment as there has ever been at any one moment in time, I believe. I would concur with that. I think the first time that I really thought, wow, Nishikori is something really special, isn't he? Was that was that US Open when he reached the final? Because he beat Djokovic along the way, because he beat Vavrinka in the round previous to that, with Vavrinka playing well. But the thing is, ever since that match that he beat Djokovic in, I've been waiting for it to happen again. And every time, Djokovic has pretty much wiped the floor with him. And... He can't seem to reproduce it. On the subject of Kyrgios, I think this was another very, very important stepping stone in his development this week and a half he's had in Miami because he got to the semifinals. He beat some really good players along the way, including Milos Raonic, which I thought was another very good win for him. But you're right. I think that what we're seeing, if you actually look at his career, there are, there's a certain kind of player that causes Nick Kyrgios problems. Andy Murray with his depth and his consistency. Kane Ishikuri with his striking from the baseline and his depth. And, well, the best in the world, one of the best ever, maybe the best ever at doing exactly that, 
is Novak Djokovic. So maybe maybe Kyrgios and his supporters have been spared a little bit there because I, I don't think that... I think Kyrgios needs to play these people to learn how to play these people. He did it with Thomas Burdick a few weeks ago at the Australian Open. He lost that match there. He then went and played him twice more and beat him pretty handily. And I think this is the way players like him operate. They soak up the experience and yet they have the weapons to then turn it around in the future. I mean, yeah, he'll, he he beat Nadal, of course, without having played him before, but I think there are really positive signs for Nick Kyrgios over the last few weeks. We've talked about them previously when he won the title in Marseille. I think he's going places this year. And a great piece, just to, just to mark your cards, if you get a chance to read it by Peter Bodo, very experienced American tennis writer, who wrote an article just headlined, Nick Kyrgios, the tennis player. And isn't it nice to talk about Nick Kyrgios, the tennis player? Not not many do. I we need to read that article. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it's a negative thing that he's talked about for reasons besides tennis. I think 90% of the reasons besides the tennis that he's talked about are positive. I described him during my commentary for TalkSport in his match the other day as it's like he's the antidote sent by the tennis gods to all of the ills or all of the accused ills that are thrown at at tennis you know the too much time between points there aren't any personalities anymore you know there's no aggro on the court there's no all of that kind of stuff you know points are too long too many baseline rallies it's like he is has been sent as the antidote to all of those problems and that's brilliant that's just brilliant and you know it's great that he's a personality I don't think we should just put all of the non-tennis features of Nick Kyrgios into the negative column I just wish he could learn not to stray on the wrong side of that line and he is he is slowly learning I think with there are setbacks like, like, you know, what happened over the Davis Cup and so on. But I think the general trajectory is upward. And I think, you know, I I, I was asking my brother what he thought of Nick Kyrgios last night and what he thought of his, you know, my brother usually doesn't have much time for sort of aggro on a tennis court. Unlike you, David, love a bit of aggro. I, I want to play your brother, but, but I'm just going to bring the aggro. <laughs> OK, he's the better tennis player. I'm going to bring the aggro. I can speak from experience, David, and tell you that it doesn't work. Um, But he said, I love how unaffected he is. You know, I love how there's no, you know, he's he's sort of unpolished in that way, that he's giving you his internal monologue externally, sort of uncensored. And he's he's completely, you know, he's not a censored, um, polished machine. He just is what he is. And yes, that means he occasionally is you know <laughs> behaves downright reprehensibly and but you know maybe we just have to take that bit of rough with the smooth for the moment and doesn't he just make you smile when you watch him i mean i i watch him for five minutes and i find myself smiling and uh, i was describing it the other day as the shot making the the audacious talent the the irritability of the man he just he just can't handle so many things that are going on out there without having something to say about it and well you know you know my thoughts on the bloke i I think he's he's great fun anyway uh we we were asking a question weren't we who can come between novak Djokovic and a golden grand slam this year he admittedly he's only won one 
of those five tournaments so far. But all the odds suggest that he's going to go on and continue in this vein of form. A couple of comments on Twitter on this very subject. Vicky Spreadbury says... Novak Djokovic's biggest opponent will be himself, wanting the French Open or the Olympics too much. As for players, anyone who gets under his skin at the right moment, such as Stan. Uh, Vesterland says, Rafa in Paris, or Andy at Wimbledon, that means Murray, of course, uh, thinks that Andy Murray is 100% against Novak Djokovic on grass. Well, that is certainly correct. Ali says, and this is an interesting one, Catherine, Ali's always uh, getting involved in our debates and, and often coming up with some very good points, says she expects a shock defeat at the US Open to an early early on to a rising star thinks that Djokovic will go and win the gold medal win Wimbledon win the French Open but end up losing to someone like Zverev or Fritz at the US Open uh I think interesting but uh, unlikely personally I think uh I think if he's got the three and plus the Olympics under his belt the chances of him running aground at the US Open are even slimmer than they are usually of him winning a Grand Slam, personally. I mean, I think there's something in the uh, theory of it could be an early, completely surprised defeat which thwarts him, if anything, is going to. Personally, I think there's something in that. I uh, The question, what is going to come between Novak Djokovic and the Golden Slam, is, for me, seemingly nothing. And And what I mean by that is that I think... If anything is going to, it's going to be something which we can't really predict. It's going to be a Sodling Nadal type incident, which nobody could possibly have predicted. I don't see anything foreseeable in the realms of the foreseeable coming between Novak Djokovic and the Golden Slam at the moment. Of course, injury can intervene. I think the French Open will be the biggest stumbling block because I think mental factors the like of which have he he even has never experienced before will come into play there um but nonetheless i think the most likely thing to intervene is a is an unexpected sodling like incident Yes, uh, I think that's a, a, f- a fair shout. Uh, incidentally, we should say Mr. Amazingly Ace says that uh, I'd vote for or Dominic other, Team. Otherwise known as Mr. Modest. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> Dominic Team will beat uh, Novak Djokovic at uh, the French Open. Uh, Danny says Kyrgios at Wimbledon. Uh, Emmanuel is going for Nadal at the French Open. We've got uh, Shannon who reckons Federer or Murray at the Olympics. Everybody's having a, a go with somebody, but I don't know. I, 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 I can't really see it. To, to be honest, I think I think he he will fail at one of them just by law of averages. But goodness knows which one he will. I actually put out uh, uh, something that you will have absolutely loved, uh, Catherine, a poll to ask uh, how many of the following Novak Djokovic would win at, uh, at, uh, in 2016 out of the Grand Slam tournaments. How many would he get? We had 681 votes. That was a pretty popular uh, uh, poll. And... Um, well, you the majority. Polls, David. What? Oh, the polls. The well, polls. You know, I tell you what. Why don't we do a poll about how many Grand Slams you're going to win? Um, anyway, four Grand Slam low, titles. Low blow, David. 
Four Grand Slam titles are going to be won by Novak Djokovic, says uh, 35% of of that group. 44% reckon three. 16% reckon he'll win only two. And 5% reckon he'll only win one and he won't win any more. I mean, what have they been smoking? Yeah. uh, I mean, stranger things have happened, but, yeah, those... Like what? Um... Strange in within the realms of tennis. I mean, yes. Stranger, what's the strangest thing that's ever happened in tennis? I mean, Thomas Johansson won the Australian Open. You reckon it was less likely that Thomas Johansson would win the Australian Open once than Novak Djokovic will win any more Grand Slam titles this year? Yes, I do. I think that was a more unlikely happening. I mean, as I said at the beginning of the year, the odds on Novak Djokovic doing the Golden Slam, I mean, bear in mind the Grand Slam has never been done on the men's side in the open era, let alone the Golden Slam, uh, with 14 to 1. Trust me when I say the odds on Thomas Johansson winning that Australian Open at the start of the event were not 14 to 1. That's not the question I asked. The question I asked was, which is more likely... Novak Djokovic won't win any more from where we are right now, any more slams this year, or Thomas Johansson winning the Australian Open. Hang on, no, right? I've 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 finally just understood your question. What's more, un- okay, than him not winning any more slams? Uh, it is late. Everybody. It is late. Uh, Thomas Johansson. That was. No, I'd say still Thomas Johansson more unlikely. I needn't have exposed my failure to understand the question there because I do. I'm going to stick by my original response. The t- at the That's time. That's absurd. Of- that is an absolutely absurd assertion that you you think Thomas Johansson was a more surprising winner than if Novak Djokovic failed at all of the three remaining Grand Slam tournaments of this year. You think Tom. You think Thomas Johansson was a less likely winner than that set of scenarios for Novak Djokovic this year, him doing nothing else? Hang on. Hang on. No, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> There's a lot of double and triple negatives happening here. I think it is the most unlikely thing in all of these things that we've discussed is that Novak Djokovic doesn't win another Grand Slam this year. I think we've finally found some agreement. Okay, were we agreeing all along, David? Crikey. Anyway, (laughs) that was an interesting four minutes, wasn't it? Uh, Now, what else have we got to talk about? Excellent radio. The the inner workings of my mind. Do you know, know, this (laughs) is our 196th episode of the tennis, but you can see, you can see why there are thousands and thousands listening to this, can't you? I mean, it's just just must-listen material. Uh, Serena Williams uh, uh, didn't have the greatest week and a half, did she? Victoria Azarenka, frankly is the player who looks like the world number one right now. Yeah, do I get some credit for this time last week predicting both? After the last 10 minutes, you don't get credit for anything. (laughs) Yeah, I do seem to have wiped out all my credit for any any possible victories uh, for the foreseeable future there. Um, Yeah, she looks utterly formidable. I mean, I I think there's something going going on with Serena uh which i think is likely to be temporary personally uh 
But that's an interesting one. That's another question I've asked. It is another question. I've, 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 I've muddied the waters here. Let me just finish. I mean, I, I well, long story short, I think Azarenka has been uh, formidable, incredible. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Great. Worthy of both both titles and probably unbalanced the, the best player of 2016 on the women's side. question I've asked is, is this the beginning of the end? For Serena Williams, she lost in the Australian Open final, surprisingly. She lost in the Indian Wells final to Victoria Azarenka, no disgrace in that, of course. And then she's lost to Svetlana Kuznetsova, who went on to reach the final. Very good player, but this is a tournament, Miami, that Serena has dominated in recent years. Well, throughout her career, this has been one of her, her very best tournaments of the lot. Is, is she slowly now starting to decline? And basically, is that going to continue? You you think it's temporary from what you're saying? Uh, I think. I mean, I think it's the beginning of the end in that she's 34 years old. So, of course, the end uh, logically is nigh at some stage relatively soon. But is it the beginning of the end in terms of is this just the start of a general downward spiral decline type thing towards, you know, a petering out of her career? Absolutely not. Uh, Serena Williams is not going to end her career that way even if her very best days are behind her I still believe she can win another slam or two not at her absolute best just because of how amazing she is and also I just think with Serena it's all in her hands and oh really even with Victoria Azarenka playing at this level and with Serena Williams a appearing to not be playing quite as well as she she was last year 
I think Victoria Zarenko can mount a very, very strong challenge and, and will now beat her some of the time. I, I think she will be a very genuine rival to her, but probably quite an even rival to her. Um, but I certainly don't think it's the case that Victoria Zarenko has now got the better of Serena Williams, and that's that. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think Serena, I think Serena will either retire because she feels she can't, she can't find it within her to 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 muster what's necessary to win more slams, or she'll come back and win more slams. You know, she she knows she knows what she's capable of. She's not going to hang around out there just to peter away in a slow decline. So I, I don't I don't see the decline continuing. I see something happening um, to arrest the decline, be it retirement or um, getting back to, to Grand Slam winning form. This is what you lot think. Uh, Susie says, I think this may be a transition year, and when she loses a few matches, opponents lose their fear of her. I can see the point there. It certainly happened to Nadal, didn't it? Sarah says, yes, it is the start of the end, but it doesn't mean the end is coming soon. Michelle says, I still feel Serena is more likely to win another slam than Roger or Rafa. Thomas says, I doubt it, but she needs a slam this year or it will be. Wimbledon or the US Open are her best chance. Kimberly Matthews says no. She will still break the title record. It just may take her a little longer. She has faded and come back before. It will be so again. Vicky says what a depressing thought. Obviously she didn't doesn't have that long left in her career, but I hope she has another slam in her. Sam just says no. Scarlett says, I'm ready for it. Bring on the new champions. And Lee says, only if Serena's motivation has evaporated will she decline. Is the desire to beat Graf's record still strong? I'd say it's very, very strong. Ali says, probably is the start of the end, but Clay is her worst surface, so I don't think judgment can be made until Wimbledon, the Olympics and the US Open. And finally, we have Scott, who says, logic indicates that uh, we're closer to the middle of the end than the beginning. Oh, dear. Doesn't mean she won't still dominate for a while yet. Personally, Catherine, I think that Serena Williams is actually still playing very well. I mean, I, I saw the uh, the final uh, of the Australian Open, and she was really hitting the ball hard. Well, still, I I think the, the raw materials are still there. I just think she's just she's just a bit off at the moment and, um, and needs to, to find her her rhythm, her timing, and and get used to, to winning again. I, I think uh, I'm not too concerned, quite honestly, for Serena Williams. Um, Andy Murray, Catherine, you mentioned a little earlier the difficulties he has in Miami versus the, the way, or rather in Indian Wells, the way he usually plays in Miami. This time... In Miami, he was he was all over the place as well. He won one match, had a an argument in that, had that very strange uh, situation where he was he was complaining about one of the the balls from the women's tournament that are different to the the men's getting into the the group of balls that they were using in the uh, in in his match and uh, and asking about that. And then the next round, he was grumpy as well and he lost. What did you make of it all? I don't know. I mean, I. I struggle to read as much into it as everybody seems to be doing. These are just two results. And yes, it was very easy to write off the Indian Wells loss to Del Bonis because we've seen Andy Murray throughout his career suffer 
seemingly surprising defeat there. He just doesn't play well there, and and it's getting to the point now where it's a, you know, it's a, he knows he doesn't play well there. He goes in there thinking I'm not going to, you know, it's just a thing. It's just a feature of his career. Miami, as we've discussed, a completely different story. It's his second home. The conditions suit him down to the ground, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable with all this presumed narrative of he's had a baby and he looks a bit out of practice and I I mean to the extent that he said after his his match that he's struggling for a little bit of um just finding the rhythm you know struggling to just get into the rhythm and 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 even struggling for that on the practice court I mean that that may be down to having had a baby. It may not be, but I'm slightly uncomfortable. It feels a bit sort of intrusive. Yeah, I know what you mean on that one. To, for me to, to to make these assumptions. And, you know, I saw on Sky Sports News the other day had a psychologist on, a psychologist, uh, a medical professional discussing the impact of Andy Murray's uh, new status as a father on his tennis career. And I just thought this is all just completely <laughs> bizarre and inappropriate. I mean, I absolutely understand why it's all happening. You know, we're all very interested in the career of Andy Murray and this was a very surprising loss and we're reaching for explanations and most of all re- reaching for reassurance of why this is only a temporary blip, I think. But I'm just a little bit uncomfortable with all of it. Yes. Although it is not impossible that it may have something to do with it. Of course it's not impossible. But I mean, there are a million things that, I mean, you know, who knows what Roger Federer was going through in 2013 or, you know, there are plenty of things in these people's private life that we will never know that have impact. And as I say, it's obviously completely understandable that we speculate. I just don't personally enjoy or haven't enjoyed this particular element of speculation because I think it's so. I think it's pretty presumptuous, actually, to to say it. It's simply the assumption that it's that it's down to this. Um, and and of course it could be, but that's that's where that's where it ends. And I should also say, Catherine Whitaker, that having uh, uh, been uh, around for the two. Uh, arrivals in in my life uh, the podcast didn't suffer did they i was on i was on fire uh, f- look i i um, maybe i'm being presumptuous because i've not been in that situation but i think you know Matt, this is his this is his job and he's an incredibly professional person you know any suggestion that you know he might not be keeping up the same routine or anything i find that almost a bit patronizing i i i i think that you know if somebody in a in the corporate world had just had a baby and you know there were sort of all you know jaws of breath and glances like oh maybe he's you know not not been able to put in in this you know same amount of effort in, into the day job as usual because he's just had a baby i'd think you know bog off Fuck off! I'm doing, I'm doing everything the same. You know, just how dare you? Can you uh, explain "bog off" to uh, the listeners of uh, that are not uh, British? I think uh, I think no explanation is. I I can't explain it without using stronger language, David. But I think explanation is probably uh, not required. Okay, um, yeah, interesting talking point. What do you lot think? Let us know at Tennis Podcast. Uh, we have uh, we'll see how Andy Murray's next few weeks go. Clay court season is about to get underway, and uh, it's 
it's great isn't it that shift in in surface i love all the shifts in surfaces uh the the one from hard to clay clay to grass it it, it always just i don't know it feels like a change in the seasons of the, of the year the weather seasons in a way doesn't it it yeah it does it's very bizarre how quickly it happens you feel there should sort of be a period of respectful mourning for each uh, for each period of the season but no it just rolls completely on i'm sure there are certain people that absolutely cannot wait for it to roll on rafael nadal number 1 on that list probably roger federer number 2 um just because he needs to play some tennis urgently um and uh yeah i can't i can't wait for indian wells because it it just everything feels uh, for monte carlo even because it's everything is reset almost and back at zero and uh any novak djokovic aside seemingly any credits you've built up or otherwise in, previously in the season can be rather put to the back of everyone's mind. They can, they can. That is all coming up over the next uh, few weeks. Of course, incidentally, we talked about Victoria Azarenka, how good she was was playing. Probably the player that pushed her the closest was Johanna Conta, wasn't she? she? She played really well, for certainly for a set. True story. Yeah, I would say absolutely the most competitive match that... Uh, Victoria Azarenka played last week was against Johanna Conta. That was the only one where, you know, like I was saying with Djokovic, where there was just a flicker of a moment here and there where I thought just possibly, you know, Joe Conta could could get into this and, and really mount a challenge. She wasn't quite able to, but there were definitely flickers. And that's that's a really, really big deal, I think. I mean, that she just continues to just cement herself in her new status, there doesn't seem to be any wavering or, you know, I, I'm loath to use uh, Kerber, Angelique Kerber, as an example of somebody that, that is wavering in their new status because I think it's completely all understandable and I just don't want anything to detract from the brilliance of her achievement. But, you know, she is, I think, as we said, after she lost in Indian Wells, her her previous defining feature was her consistency in this level of event and and I suppose at Grand Slam level reaching quarterfinals etc and for her to be losing when she is yes she lost to the eventual champion this time but still uh, you know there, there is definitely a slight difference to, to pre-Australian Open there is definitely a glimmer of a waiver whereas Joe Conta you know at a slightly lower level is coping mentally and, and physically with her new status just unbelievably well it will be interesting to see how that impacts when we get to Wimbledon, won't it? Because suddenly she will arrive at Wimbledon and there will be a lot of eyes on her that she's never had before at that particular tournament. Yeah, and she'll arrive there seeded as well with people talking about or possibly even, probably even, expecting her to make a run into the second week. And that is, uh, that's a very, very different kettle of fish. It is. Uh, we have also seen, I don't know whether you saw it today, I certainly did, uh, an article written by John Isner on the wonderful Players Tribune, which uh, is something that we've talked about before, Marty Fisher's piece. Uh, Andy Murray's written a couple on there where it's just self-penned pieces, an opportunity for, for athletes to just speak their mind. John Isner's today was rather different. It was about 
WrestleMania and American wrestling. Did you read that, Catherine? I haven't yet. It's uh, it's, it's really I good. Have it as a, I have it as a tab open uh, on my laptop as the, at the moment, ready to read. My interest in wrestling is so minimal. I've been struggling to muster the uh, motivation to read it, but I. I well, I've got enough will. interest for both of us, okay. so don't worry. I, I can carry the tennis podcast interest uh, in in. Uh, but mine's a bit old school. I was more WWF rather than WWE. Does that make any sense to you? It does. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm certainly familiar with the vernacular, David. I oh, good. Yeah. Well, anyway, enjoy it as a spectacle. Yeah, I was more of a sort of macho man, Randy Savage kind of guy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, in spirit only, presumably. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, but the <laughs> the fact is that um, John Isner has been telling us about his absolute love of, of the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment Federation, whatever you want to call it. And the the most interesting bit for me, he was he was disc- he was basically saying tennis stars as WWE stars, and he was coming up with all sorts of examples like uh, uh, Novak Djokovic being the being Brett, Brett Hitman Haas, who was known as the Excellence of Execution. Wonderful. And uh, uh, there was Shawn Michaels, who would have been Federer, and uh, he himself would have been the Undertaker, this big lumbering galoot who just comes along and seems impervious to pain and isn't very flexible. But my personal favourite bit of the entire piece was when he reminded everybody, or told everybody, and certainly reminded me, of how Roger Federer is a huge fan of American wrestling. And... Uh, does impersonations of the various wrestlers. I mean, well, that does sound like something I would desperately, desperately want to see. That's just tantalising, though, telling us about that, knowing that none of us will ever see that in our lifetimes. That's just unfair. Except that I have. I have seen oh, it. Oh, David, was this I all... I have seen it back in the day. Here's some name-dropping for you. for you to work that bit, into yeah. conversation. It's the only reason I'm telling this story is so that I can regale you with my story of uh, 1998 through 2000 when I was an ATP communications manager. And uh, Roger Federer would have been, what, 16, 17 years old? And he was forever watching American wrestling and and coming up and doing impersonations of the actors as we later found out that they were i th- i thought it was all real to be honest until you know they they admitted that it wasn't but anyway yeah great stuff isn't it who'd have thought it roger federer he, he's so sort of he's got such serene like uh as a as a facade and yet here he was doing impersonations of of american wrestlers brilliant i no, i've no comment to that should we end the tennis podcast there, or on a on a wrestling based note? Yeah, that's that's what note. the listeners. I, I will give you it's all that wrestling chat. Yeah, they do. They want wrestling anecdotes. Uh, we have got a bit of news because Milos Raonic and Nick Kyrgios have just joined Andy Murray, Rafael Nadal, and Stan Wawrinka in the field at the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club. Kyrgios and Raonic, they could be very dangerous on grass this year, Catherine. Oh, they could. Well, I mean, both have been very dangerous on grass in the past. So, uh... And Raonic is reckoning that he will have his best results this year on grass that he's ever had. And bear in mind, he's already reached a semi-final at Wimbledon. Well, he's had his best results this year that he's ever had. So why wouldn't that carry through until the grass court season? So, yeah. I uh, that I mean he's he's somebody that everybody wants to avoid on grass I would say, 
and that same goes. Probably the two actually most dangerous besides the obvious. They're the two most dangerous on grass for sure. Probably even as much as the obvious two besides Djokovic. And you know what? Actually, thinking about it now, just just throwing back to that, who will stop Novak Djokovic doing the Golden Slam? If he were to run into one of those two guys at Wimbledon, I I would. I would have a sneaky little feeling for either one of them. I really would. You'd have a feeling for Raonic against Djokovic at Wimbledon? I would. Yeah, I really would. Okay, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, I think he could get a set and I think a lot could change between now and Wimbledon. And Don't you remember what Kevin Anderson did to Novak Djokovic? Yeah, he got a, a couple of sets. I think Raonic could do the same. He didn't win in the end. Oh, see, he's gone from one to two in the space of about 48 seconds. I think there is a scenario in the multiverse. I think there is a universe in which Milos Raonic gets a couple of sets. I don't think there's one where he wins. Unless something significant changes. I'm talking about if we played Wimbledon tomorrow. Unless something significant changes, I, I don't see it happening. We shall see. We shall see. It's all to come still in the rest of the tennis year. Catherine Whittaker and myself, David Law, have enjoyed talking to you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us. This has been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We'll speak to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 